Today we continue in the book of Daniel. So it's Daniel chapter 7 and can be found on page 1274, 1274 in the Pew Bibles. Daniel chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar's king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and his visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of this, of this dream. Daniel said, In my visions at night, I looked, and there before me were four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an, angel, of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and <clears throat> it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being and the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told... Get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I look, the thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. The river of fire was flowing, coming out from behind him. Thousand upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the, with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power, 
All nations and, all, and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these meaning, of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth, but the holy people of the, of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever, yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know <clears throat> the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying, with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favour of the holy people of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The four beasts is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be difficult for, different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are the ten kings who will come from the, this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The, the holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times and half a time. But the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty power, power of the greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my, fa fact, and my face turned pale but kept the matter to myself. Here ends the reading. Thanks very much, Lynn. That wasn't easy. Now, uh, I wonder if you remember your first visit to a theme park. Do you remember your first visit to a theme park? Um, wonder which one it was, maybe a Lunar Park, maybe Wonderland. Do you remember Wonderland? Oh, so good. Uh, maybe something up on the Gold Coast. Um, but uh, theme parks are really confusing places. Imagine if that was your experience as you, as you went for your, your first visit. 
because um, you walk in and you see people on a ride and some of them are laughing, some of them are having a great time, some of them are maybe straight face, maybe smiling, but then some of them are screaming. And as a, as a first-time visitor, you, you look at this and you wonder, well, what on earth is going on here? What is this place? What is this contraption? Is it fun? Is it torture? Are they on there forever? How long does it go for? And we might have felt this way about the book of Daniel as we heard from chapter 7 today. Um, Daniel's vision in chapter 7 that we've, that we've just heard Lynn read, it marks a shift into a whole new section of Daniel and it brings us into a lot of things that are new. Uh, we're in a new genre. We're in a whole new section of the library, a section called apocalyptic. Apocalyptic means revelation, to uncover, to unveil. And the apocalyptic parts of the Bible, like this section of Daniel and like Revelation in the New Testament, they reveal something. Um, They open the curtain and they introduce us to a new way of seeing the world. Uh, They show us what has been happening, what is happening, and what will happen from God's point of view. That's what they're revealing. And as you might have noticed, the apocalyptic parts of Scripture, they use lots of vivid images. We've seen plenty and we'll look at plenty in our passage today. And these images are just unusual. They're very strange. Um, And some people, when they come to uh, the imagery that we've seen, they they treat it like a bit of a code to be cracked or a puzzle to be solved. And the idea is that when these things are solved, they'll help us understand the past, they'll help us predict the future. Um, But in general, I think that's, that's the wrong way of going about things. Um, Apocalyptic parts of scripture are written to benefit believers and particularly to benefit believers going through times of crisis. Believers who are facing injustice, oppression, persecution at the hands of others for being God's people. (coughs) And so that's who Daniel um, chapter 7 to 12 and Revelation, that's who they're particularly written for. And so if apocalyptic is for God's people in crisis, then why would God throw in a Rubik's Cube? Why would he give us a cryptic crossword to solve? If we were being oppressed by a leader like the beast in this passage, would it matter if we figured out which beast it was? Well, of course not. And here in Daniel, we don't need to crack the code to understand because God doesn't just give us images and then leave us to work it out. He interprets it for us. Uh, often in the same passage like here in Daniel 7, or at least in the context of the book. God isn't covering things up here. He's making things clearer. And as God interprets these images for us, we see that apocalyptic is like the rest of Scripture. It's given by God to his people to teach us, to teach us what God has done, what he is doing, what he will do. Uh, Maybe it's God's kindness to visual learners that he puts it together this way. Now, in Daniel uh, 7, God's revelation shows us two things. Uh, First, the chaos of the world for God's people under earthly kings. And second, the comfort for God's people under his heavenly king. That's the message of Daniel 7. Very simple. Chaos, comfort. Um, and both of these, uh, both of these themes are threaded through this chapter. So we're going to jump around a little bit. We'll trace them through one at a time, um, starting with chaos. 
Um, take a look with me at verse 2. <coughs> Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. Now, can you just imagine having a dream start like this? Have you ever had a dream start like this? Tell me later. Because um, we've got this picture of, of the sea. It's, it's not calm. I like a dream about a calm sea. That sounds much nicer. This sea is churned up. And that's the picture of the sea right through scripture, churned up, chaotic, untamed, wild, unpredictable, uncontrollable. That's the sea in scripture. And so from the start, we can see that this is a chaotic picture. And then Daniel sees this chaotic sea bring forth these four great beasts onto the beach. Um, look at how Daniel describes them. Verse 4. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. Then the second beast in verse 5 looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. Then the third beast, verse 6, looked like a leopard and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule. And then the fourth beast, which didn't look like any known creature like the previous three. But in verse 7, Daniel says it was terrifying and frightening and very powerful it had large <coughs> it had large iron teeth it crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left it was different from all the former beasts and it had 10 horns so these are the four beasts all different all ferocious all frightening now as Australians we're familiar with wild animals uh, we've got more things that can kill us than anyone else in the world, and we wear that as a badge of honour, don't we? How did we survive this far? I don't know. Uh, but these beasts are another thing again, right? These would be the things of our nightmares, just as they are for Daniel. Um, Daniel's interpreted dreams before. He's been in exile, away from his home. He's faced near-death experiences. And even he is afraid of what he sees here in this dream. But we're not left in the dark about what we're seeing. And we're told later in verse 17 that these beasts represent kings, kings who will rise from the earth. So we're talking about earthly kings here. Um, the differences between them help us to consider which kings they might be. For example, Babylon is described as a lion a number of times in the Old Testament. And what happens to the lion sounds like what happened to Nebuchadnezzar back in chapter 4. He's grounded, brought down, and then he's lifted up with his humanity restored. And so there's some familiarity here. And we might also see in the differences between them, a relationship between these four beasts and the four kingdoms of chapter 2. For example, the fourth kingdom in Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2 was as strong as iron, breaking and smashing everything, just like the fourth beast with its large iron teeth. So we're meant to understand things, even from within Daniel, about what's going on here, about what these kings are like. But even though we can join some dots based on the differences between these earthly kings, they all have something in common. 
They are all beastly. They are kings who are out of control. Are kings who have immense power and who can use it however they want. They're off the chain. And so how do they use their power? Well, these beasts, these kings, they use it for their own selfish and destructive purposes. They use it against the people God has made. And we've seen beastly kings like this in Daniel. Remember last week with King Darius? For all his good intentions, he made a law that sent his friend Daniel to death by lions. Then, when Daniel was saved by God, do you remember what Darius did? He sent 122 of his administrators and civil servants to the lions instead, along with their wives and children. Where is the justice in any of that? It's beastly, right? And we know that earthly leaders who are, who are like this aren't just around in Daniel's time. It's been leaders like this before Daniel and in Daniel and after Daniel. At any given time in history, even now, there are leaders like this in our world. Leaders who are responsible for genocide, infanticide, homicide. Leaders who show such disregard for the lives and well-being of their fellow human beings often for reasons we can't entirely explain. How could people do that kind of thing, is what we ask. How could people shamelessly, senselessly shed blood? And they, these, these kind of leaders, these kind of people, they strike fear into the hearts of those who see what they're capable of. We're horrified by it. Leaders like this are human, but they behave more like wild animals. And we should be afraid of finding ourselves under the, under the rule of earthly leaders like this. It's not impossible. But the way earthly leaders treat people isn't the only thing that makes them beastly, because Daniel sees something else that earthly leaders do with their power. In his dream, they, he sees that they can use their power, and they do use their power, to oppose the God who gave it to them. In Daniel's dream, he sees that they oppose God and they oppose the God who's given them life and rule and everything they have. They use their power to oppose the people who are loyal to God, those who've been saved by God and set apart as his people. And this is particularly seen in the horns of Daniel's dream. Um, after seeing the fourth beast in verse 7, Daniel recognises that it has ten horns and he says this in verse 8. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Now, as Old Testament readers, we're meant to associate horns with power. And as we see this little horn appear from the fourth beast, we see that this king is even more powerful than those who've come before it. And then in verse 25, we're told how this king uses his power. Uh, take a look with me, verse 25. <coughs> he will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be, will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. Like we've seen in the rest of Daniel, those who are loyal to God can't expect to be treated well by, by earthly leaders. We can't expect them to like Jesus or like, 
Christians or to agree with us. We shouldn't expect them to use their power to honour God or to benefit God's people like us. But we can and should expect them to do what we see here, speaking against God, oppressing his people, rejecting his rule in every way possible. And in verse 21, we can expect them to be successful in their opposition and oppression. They will wage war against God's people and they will defeat them. There will be casualties. So the picture of this kind of leader, of this kind of leadership, is intentionally described as beastly. That's the picture we see. As beastly is what opposing God is like. It's not what humans have been made for. It's not what human leaders have been given life and strength and power and wisdom and intelligence to do. And when a human leader cuts themselves loose from God, turning against God and his people, it is a frightening thing. Because for this kind of leader, God isn't in control of them or and he's not in control of this world. They are. They've put themselves in his place. And everyone who claims that, that God is, um, anyone who claims that um, becomes a, a threat to God's people. Um, Daniel and his friends have seen this kind of beastly anti-God leadership in exile in Babylon. In the first six chapters, they've faced personal and painful opposition, even to the point of death, because of their faithfulness to God. And so many believers since then have seen this kind of beastly anti-God leadership as well. So many believers face opposition and injustice and violence and even death solely because they remain faithful to God, even in our world today. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear about Christian persecution, I pray two things. I pray that my brothers and sisters in Christ will stand firm in their faith in Christ, no matter what. But I also thank God that it's them and not me. And I think this is because the kind of rule that we hear about here, that we see in Daniel, that we see in Daniel's dream, it feels so far away. I can't imagine a leader opposing Christians with that kind of ferocity. But Daniel's dream shows us behind the curtain. It reveals the way things really are and have been and will be when it comes to earthly leaders. We can't put our confidence in them. In Daniel's dream, we are shown the chaos of the world for God's people under earthly kings. And even if it's beyond our experience now, God shows us what earthly leaders can be like, what they have been like, what they are like, and we can expect them to be like. From God's perspective, our world under this rule is a place of fear. It's a place of brutality, of arrogance, of rebellion. And this kind of untethered rule is something to be feared by people in our world and by God's people in particular. Whether we're suffering under the chaos of earthly kings or just expecting that it might happen, there, there is much here um, to be afraid of, to take seriously. Um, because Daniel's dream shows us the chaos of the world for God's people under earthly kings. That's not all that this dream shows us. Secondly, Daniel's dream also shows us that there is comfort in the chaos. There's comfort beyond the chaos for God's people. Um, in verse 9 and 10, in the middle of this fearful dream, Daniel looks up and he sees God. He sees the Ancient of Days. Um, now, God is only referred to as the Ancient of Days here in Daniel. Uh, and this, this title, I think, is meant to remind us that, 
that God was ruling before any of these earthly kings. And right now, the Ancient of Days, God is seated on his throne, totally in charge, ruling everything. And in verse 9 and 10, the picture that we see is that he is white he's, because he's clean and pure. He's fiery because he's powerful, because he's the judge. He's majestic. Thousands are serving him. Thousands upon thousands are before him. Can you imagine seeing this? Having the sky pulled back so that you can see what was happening in heaven. Can you imagine if you were facing difficulties and crisis and chaos how much this picture would be a breath of fresh air, how much you'd continue looking at this and remembering this. Can you imagine how seeing this scene would change you? As Daniel continues to look, he sees this picture of heaven, the books are opened, and in verse 11 and 12, the beasts, the kings of the earth, are judged by the holy God. Now, they don't all disappear immediately, But Daniel's been given a preview here of what will happen to earthly rulers when they meet the God who is the judge. Like we've seen as as God deals with the kings who opposed him in the book of Daniel, these earthly kings are humiliated, stripped of authority, and are destroyed. Their earthly chaos will come into the courtroom and God will show that he is in control and that he rules as he restores justice and brings their chaotic rule to an end. This is the picture for God's people to hang on to. Um, But even though the rule of earthly kings ends abruptly as it does here, there isn't a power vacuum on earth. Um, Because this is what Daniel sees in verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven, He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So someone approaches God to be given authority, and they are different from everyone we've seen so far in Daniel's dream. It's not a beast. It's one like a son of man. In other words, fully human. And he doesn't come from the sea like the beast. Where does he come from? He comes from the clouds. He's heavenly. And he doesn't seize authority, glory, and power like a beast would. Authority, glory, and power are given to him by God. It's God's decision that he would be the king. And he's not given the kingdom until he dies or until he gets taken out like an earthly leader. No, his dominion is everlasting. His kingdom is indestructible. Now, it's no coincidence that when Jesus came into the world, he used the phrase son of man to describe himself. Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about. And when Jesus used son of man to describe himself, he was claiming to be the one that we see here in Daniel 7, the one who who would fulfill everything that we see here. And he has. Scripture tells us that after Jesus lived his life in perfect obedience to God, he went to the cross, he rose from the grave, 
he ascended to God his Father in heaven. And in ascending, Jesus came face to face with God and God gave him authority, glory and sovereign power. Jesus was made the king of God's kingdom and he continues to be the king of God's kingdom. This is where comfort is found. Comfort in our chaos. and comes in the kingly rule of Christ. Now, after seeing these things, the chaos, the courtroom, this coronation, Daniel is still troubled in spirit and disturbed. He needs help, like we do, to move from the imagery of the dream to the reality that it reveals. And so in his dream, Daniel asks one of those standing there, watching these things, to tell him what it means. In verse 17, he's told the meaning of this dream. (coughs) The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. That's it. That's the meaning. Who said apocalyptic was hard? It's right there. But this is what we see, chaos and comfort. That's what we see in this world. We have chaos, but we know comfort at the same time. Now, I think one thing that I wasn't expecting here is how the comfort is described in verse 17. I expected to say the four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth, but the Son of Man will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. That's what I expected to say, if you did too. But that's not what it says, is it? Instead, it says the holy people of the Most High are the ones who will receive the kingdom. Interesting, isn't it? And if we notice that little phrase there, then we can start to notice it everywhere in the passage. And we start to see that our comfort in Christ's rule is even better than we thought. And look what happens in this passage to God's holy people. Verse 21, they are attacked and defeated by the little horn. Verse 25, they are oppressed and enslaved by the little horn. Chaos, right? But then in verse 26, the little horn is judged and is removed and destroyed forever. A couple of verses back in verse 22, God's holy people are judged as well, but are favoured by God. And then verse 27, the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to, wait for it, the holy people of the Most High. This shows us a wonderful truth that is meant to be for the comfort of God's people who are under the chaotic rule of earthly leaders, who live through the chaos of life in this world. We don't just enter the kingdom because of the Son of Man. We share it with the Son of Man. Now, before spending time in this chapter, I don't think that had ever sunk in for me. It seems outrageous, doesn't it? Sharing the kingdom, not just being part of it, not just serving in it, but ruling. I think we're sold on the idea that we'll enter God's kingdom by faith in his son, his chosen King Jesus. And I think we're aware of the <coughs> I think we're aware of the benefits of being in the kingdom that Jesus brings us into through his death for us. We know about eternal life, no more sin, no suffering, no sickness. And we have no problem serving Christ as members of his kingdom. Of course we do. But the Bible says that Jesus will We'll share 
Jesus' kingdom. We'll share his rule. He will make us a part, part of his kingdom in that way. I'm just going in Luke 22. This is what Jesus says at the Last Supper. He says to his disciples, you are those who have stood by me in my trials and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones. What an incredible privilege it is to be one of Christ's people and what a comfort it is to live under Christ's rule and to look forward to ruling with him. What a privilege that is. As we've looked at, along with Daniel at God's revelation in this chapter, we've certainly seen some things, haven't we? Our beasts, ancient of days, son of man, chaos, comfort. Uh, maybe at the end of it we're like Daniel in verse 27, are deeply troubled in our thoughts with faces that have gone pale and we're keen to keep the matter to ourselves. Maybe that's where we're at. I hope not, maybe. But the journey we've been on with Daniel has also been a bit like a first-time visitor to the theme park that we started thinking about. The person watching this ride, which looks like absolute chaos, what on earth is happening there? Wondering whether it's fun or torture, wondering how long it goes for, does this ever end? As we've been guided through God's revelation in Daniel 7, we've seen that next to the chaotic ride is a person with his hands on the controls, a person who knows exactly how the ride works, who knows exactly why it moves in this direction or that, who knows exactly how long it's going to last. And as soon as he pushes the right buttons, the chaotic ride is all over. And in the same way God has shown us, the control room of heaven isn't empty. It hasn't been taken over by earthly rulers. God himself is there, the ancient of days. And he runs everything in heaven and earth. And he will judge and bring to an end all those who oppose him, all those who create chaos in his world. And he will judge and show favour to those who've been made holy through the saving work of the Son of Man, our everlasting, our fully human, our heavenly King, Jesus. So through our life in this world, through whatever chaos comes our way, this is where we're to fix our eyes on this heavenly picture. I hope that that will be true for us in whatever lies ahead. Now let me lead us in prayer. Our gracious God, we thank you for showing us the reality of rule in this world, that you are the one who sits on the throne, who brings control to the chaos, the one who deserves and rightly demands all honour and glory and authority. Our Father, please change us by what we have seen, by what you've shown us, so that as we live in this world with all its opposition to you and to your people, we might be filled with comfort and courage. Please enable us to live faithfully and fearlessly for you, and for our King, the King of Kings. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.